0: Album for the apocalypse. Album
1: for the apocalypse. One, two. Buckle my shoes. Hello and welcome to the eleventh episode of the Albums for the Apocalypse podcast with myself and Jack.
0: Hello. My name's Jack. Uh, uh, today,
1: <laughs> uh, on this episode, we're talking about arguably one of the greatest producers ever um, and what's time actually considered in, to be in the 100 most influential people ever, um, Rick Rubin, um, the gentleman who started uh, life in the New York punk scene when he founded Def Jam as a senior in high school, so when he was 18 years old. Um, however, he then went on to work more in hip hop and signed the likes of Public Enemy, Run DMC, and then the big one that sort of broke him into the mainstream with the Beastie Boys, where he took them from a punk rock gobby teenagers to be one of the biggest, most influential hip-hop acts ever. Um, He's then gone on to work in all kinds of genres uh, through the late 80s, 90s, and into the 2000s, and with one of our albums this week, uh, the 2010s. Uh, so he's worked with bands like, recent, his early work was like with Colt, Slayer, Danzig, um, and then this week we have Slipknot, The Black Crows, and Kanye West. Um, How would you find this week, Jack? Huge mix this week.
0: Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Really good week of music. Um, to be honest, we knew already that when you have someone like Rick Rubin and his discography to pick from, it's not going to be bad. Like simply I just don't think it's really ever going to be bad. Um like I mentioned when I talked about this as the theme, I mentioned that actually I spoke to a couple of my mates about it and um they said they'd gone and looked at his discography. And if you haven't, you need to because it's ab it's actually absurd. There is a reason why he was on that time list. I mean that is quite a big statement but still like there is a reason why he was on there because oh, 100%. it's it's insane. And The thing is, it's not just like he just happens to have been working for a big company and like therefore got involved in these things, it's that he like actively gets involved. He kind of reshaped so many genres. He takes, like you gave the example of the Beastie Boys, but he does it all the time. He takes artists and moves their sound in new places and new ways. Um, Something we might touch on today with, for example, Yeezus, that whole album, which he kind of took Kanye in a new direction. Yeah, I mean, this was a really fun week, and uh, I enjoyed my listening a lot.
1: I mean, I'd go as far to say that if you did like 100 albums you had to listen to before you die, I'd reckon he'd get at least five in there. So 5% of those albums is Rick Rubin, which says enough. However, there will be conversation a bit about his... um, how much influence he actually has on the records with all three of these this week, actually, which will be quite an interesting talk. Um, But yeah, you can't you can't deny his influence through the late eighties into the nineties and even the early noughties, especially um, in how music and genres formed because, you know, hip hop wouldn't be what it is today without him. Like he genu- genuinely pushed it into the mainstream and started it, you know, with the likes of that New York uh, punk scene, turning it, taking Beastie Boys and seeing that sort of energy and turning it into hip hop.
0: Yeah. He's, um, he's also quite a defiant character in terms of like, If you look at the way in which he just kind of has, you do it my way or you don't do it at all, basically, which seems to definitely rub some people up the wrong way, which we'll go on to. But like, oh no, I can't help but respect that because I think if he hadn't been like that, like you said, you wouldn't have got anywhere near the kind of stuff we've got these days. And like hip hop, for example, like you said, wouldn't be where it is. you wouldn't have half these acts gone in the direction they have people like red hot chili peppers, for example, may never have quite broken that kind of to that huge level of, they have like an international stardom.
1: Oh, not at all. It's like, pretty... so blood sugar, sex, magic was their breakthrough. <laughs> um, under the bridge was the big song on that. And that was all Rick Rubin pushing Anthony Kiedis to do it. Um, if you look at some like metal bands, you've got Slayer with rain and blood, that, um, broke them out more into the mainstream, um, I mean, I'm just going to speak a bit more about rock here, but then like System of Down, Toxicity, he got them and pushed them into the mainstream, which is a weird a weird sort of metal band and pushed them out. And then, like we said, Beastie Boys and stuff like that to really push them into the, what was the mainstream? Uh, pushed Run DMC to, co- to collaborate with Aerosmith and Walk This Way. So again, just trying to push boundaries of music as well, which has always been something that he's yeah. tried to do. Never been afraid necessarily to try something a bit new and
0: weird. And one of his biggest successes this is a country record
1: with Johnny yeah, Cash. Johnny Cash, yeah, he uh, Johnny Cash was huge fan of him at, towards the end of his life. Um, yeah, so he's just he's he's never really had a genre so much. It's just I want to work with music, and it's and he's won countless Grammys and everything because of it.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's pretty. It's got to the point where I think now he's all, he's like snubbed from a lot of things purely because he's. It's one of those things where someone's won so much they don't win more.
1: Oh yeah, hundred percent. Like, well, he's set a standard definitely now, um, yeah. and he hasn't done, to be honest, in the lot in probably like the twenty tens. He hasn't done as much amazing stuff. I mean, there's obviously a couple. Of this there's one this week which we'll talk about, and obviously got Adele's twenty one, which he's did. Um, yeah. But if you truly want his like best best work, you're looking at the nineties into the you know late eighties nineties uh, when he really sort of. Was well, just putting out ten out of tens after ten out of tens almost.
0: But well, ironically, I would argue that those were also the projects that he had more of a grip on. Yeah. So you could maybe argue if he did have if he did take on a project to that level again today, then maybe he would release more of that kind of level again. But it's just we were, I guess obviously we'll talk about this more, but like he works mainly now as like an exec overseeing where his yeah, it- back there was in full control.
1: Yeah, he was a, he was a rec- he's a record exec of Columbia now, I think. Whereas back then he was Def Jam, he was the owner, he founded it, so, and he was he wanted to be involved in everything that he was doing and everything they were doing. Yeah. Um, and we'll actually talk about that sort of thing a bit more with the Black Crows um, in how he wanted to genuinely be involved in absolutely every aspect of that band. Um, but again, yeah. another one the way he he took a southern rock band would have been popular in the seventies and pushed them in the nineties. Again, just. Something that he can well, tell. us.
0: Well, we'll, we'll go into it. Allegedly, Allegedly. go into it. Yeah. Um, so I think maybe we should we should get going on that then.
1: Yeah, I might as well just crack straight on. Yeah, we'll be here for years talking about Rick Rubin. And up first, we have my pick this week, which is Black Crowes with "Shake Your Money Maker." It's the 1990 debut from the Southern rock band um, made up primarily of two brothers, Chris and Rich Robinson, Chris being the vocalist, Rich being the guitarist. Um, they were originally formed in high school, uh, in 1984, uh, but bounced around releasing songs, whatever, until they eventually got signed, I think in 1989 by Rick Rubin to Def Jam. Now, before they got signed, they were called, um, they were called something Crows, uh, but not the Black Crows. It's like Crow County or something like that, I think. Yeah, I Crow uh, County. and then Rick Rubin, however, wanted them to change their name, uh, you know, where they they needed a name change. It was a pretty terrible name. Uh, and, and He wanted them to change it to the Cobb County Crows, which would be abbreviated to KKK. Um, obviously, that didn't go down too well with the, the Black Crows themselves. But that being said, they did end up recording this record, which for me is one of the best, I think one of the best Southern rock records going. I think it goes with ZZ Top, and you can stick it with the blues and stuff of the 70s, 80s, that you come out of Georgia and the South U.S., uh, how do you find it, Jack? Because I know you you kind of knew of them, but not necessarily fully di- delved into them before.
0: Yeah, so I knew, ironically, I knew of this album from about six months ago, reading a top 100 Rick Rubin albums. <laughs> I think I sent that to you. Yeah. I was literally just going through and listening to the ones I hadn't heard of. Um, so I'd had heard and listened to bits of this uh, before. I really enjoyed it. I like the... Um, i love like the southern style blues influenced rock and so this kind of ticked that box pretty well um obviously it's got some of the most well some songs that people will definitely recognize from the hard to handle which is obviously a cover technically but it's probably this is without doubt the most famous oh this
1: is probably bigger than the cover the original i'd say it's one of those songs yeah yeah,
0: yeah. oh yeah i think you're probably right yeah um I think I don't know, so I read the I read about the whole Cobb County Crows thing. Um and it's an interesting story because you kind of get two sides. Like from the sounds of it, the Robinsons are a bit like pretentious and kind oh, of pricks. There's a lot of people um, that
1: would say that the Robinsons are arseholes. I mean they, they've only they announced a comeback tour, funnily enough, this year. Obviously that's not happening anymore. Um but they're definitely people yeah, that are but, very much yeah, well, it be happening next year, I'd have thought, but it was meant to happen this year.
0: Yeah, but they announced on Jimmy Fallon or something last year. Um, Yeah, I read about that, but I don't know. I just the the story they they make it sound as though like so they say that he wanted to make them like really really emphasise their southern side and like the Cobb County Crows thing. It's quite an accusation to make, especially in today's climate. When you think about it, like obviously it wasn't back then; it probably wasn't it was not even thought about. But like, but I, I think um, in, you think about it
1: like that. With three, well, two white guys, and the rest of the band would have been white guys as well, uh, for, well yeah. at, at that point anyway. Um, to be taking essentially blues, which um, originated from like chain yeah, gang yeah. music, and then calling yourselves a KKK is a bit. It's, I think that's Rick Rubin's. Um,
0: I don't want to say, like, his,
1: yeah, his "fuck you" attitude almost his. Yeah.
0: Well, that's the ironic thing. Um, They said that they told him to fuck off and they didn't credit him on the album. So he's actually, he didn't get credited on the album until it hit a million sales. And then he was just like, fuck it, I'm putting my name on the album. So he just did it and didn't tell them. Um, They tried to take him to court, I think, but I'm pretty sure he got thrown out. Um, But he commented on this and just said like, he just didn't seem, he didn't seem really fussed. He just said, oh, it wasn't really like, a lot of what they said wasn't true. Um... You know, but I don't mind. They say just as bad things to each other as they do to me. So it just, you know, like he didn't really seem to care, which I thought was pretty, pretty interesting response.
1: Yeah, I think. Well, I think that's sort of Rick Rubin's attitude. Almost very. Um, I don't want to say like he's very laid back. A lot of what a lot of people say about him is he's he isn't one of these producers that will like shout at the bands and stuff like that. He's quite laid back, and I think that came across in that sense. Um And the fact that he was he he, he's very happy to almost take a back seat. So like he's not actually listed as the main producer in this, even though most people recognize him as being hugely linked with this record. It's George Draculias who hasn't actually done too much production work post this or before this. He only, he's done a few like primal scream and Tom Petty, but nothing drastic. Um, and like, he's quite happy to just sort of let someone else be listed, but cause everyone seems to know that he's the producer. So like I always, I never associated George Draculias with this record. It was always Rick Rubin. Um, Never anyone else, and we'll actually talk about it the, the other two records this week as well. It's a very similar situation,
0: um, yeah. Well, the, the, the interesting thing is, it's like I said in the intro, he's quite defined in that, like, he knows what he wants, but he's also that kind of guy where he's like, Look, if you don't want to do that, that's fine. Like, we when we did 2025 20, um, by Adele, he obviously had influence on that record and he wanted her to sing like she was singing live the whole time, so she made he made her record the whole album as if it was live, and after all that, she was just like, "Oh, look, I don't. I, I'm going to go back to the old recordings." He didn't really care. Like he'd done his bit, he would got paid, he'd given her the kind of opportunity. So that I think he's just up, that yeah. kind of person. Yeah, he's just like he has his idea. If you choose to reject it, that's kind of almost your problem. Um, he's still going to do a great job no matter what.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. I think with this record particularly, you've got. Um essentially what is a quite a simplistic song style in terms of this southern rock and this blues um that they follow through but there's this way they've got it with the pacing and the way these songs are structured that keeps it somewhat relevant because you got to think this was released in 1990 this record sounds like it was a 70s record like it does yeah. and the fact that it would go on to sell for over 5 million copies and stuff as a 1990 release um says a lot one about the quality and two about the way they've managed to make it feel somewhat um, relevant to the time. So the production levels are really good on the guitars. It doesn't sound too um, muddy in the production, which was a very common thing in sort of the 70s with its southern rock. It's clean. It's got those songs which people are going to love. Um, like I said, Hard to Handle. Uh, you've got a few others on there. So like, even like the slower songs, like She Talks to Angels and Seeing Things, yeah. um, both sort of – they're done in a way which they can easily be translated to a 90s audience, which I think – you've got to think, this was one year before Nirvana released Nevermind in the sense punk was exploding here the mainstream really didn't give too much of a shit about this southern rock sort of thing so for a new band to come along and release their debut and then still do that well says a lot about how rick rubin managed to help craft these songs to be relevant to the time and not feel dated but also the way he pushes bands as well because he has a very clever way of marketing bands i think that's something that he's like we said he's, he's actually gone on to do now as a label as exec more than he has with his production levels
0: yeah, yeah. No, I really enjoyed listening to this. Um, I think it's got a lot of the... It, it's like you say, it represents that kind of Southern rock, but it also does have a lot more of the more Like, you can see the transition into 90s in some of the songs. You can see those kind of more, I guess you'd say, maybe riff-heavy um, elements coming in, which, I mean, yeah, I enjoyed. I know there's lots of songs on this I enjoyed as well. This This whole week... Has kind of got that as a bit almost a bit of a theme. Is just like they're all fantastic albums, and I would not put this one as an exception to that at all.
1: And I think there's something that I I believe it was um, this quote that they the band have said that their influences go more than just the southern rock. So they've got stuff like REM and stuff, which I think definitely comes through a bit more in the slower songs where you've got that.
0: what what happened after? Because I listened to a few of their later albums, and they're still good. But I just it's curious that they didn't quite reach. I don't know, like they didn't become a massive, massive band when this was obviously such a big debut.
1: Yeah, so this is. I think this is still their biggest selling. I think I'm pretty sure. I'm checking now for Southern Harmony, but I'm 90% sure it is. Um, so well, so their the follow up to this, the Southern Har- Harmony, she put, Southern Harmony and Musical Companion. Um, released two years later is, I think, is just as good if not better than this. It's a very, it's one of these ones that's really hard for me to. If someone asked me to decide, I probably wouldn't be able to do it. Depends on my mood. Oh yeah, I
0: listened to them that. That's good album.
1: Um, that album takes a lot more. I mean, when when we say alt rock, we're not saying they're going full Radiohead or anything like that. But there's these little twangs in the way the songs are structured and the way they particularly like the slightly slower, brooding songs rather than these hip, swingy songs that you have on this one. Less singles and whatnot. Um, it takes that element a bit more forward, um, which is perhaps why it didn't quite hit off as much. but then after that, they just kind of they just didn't do much else. they just kind of struggled. I think it's one of these things where you come off of two great albums um with this sort of style. it ultimately, I think this style is quite restrictive with the southern rock style.
0: I would also put out there the timing of it probably didn't help. Yeah, if you think about where it was in the late '90s, yeah, 100%. early noughties, it was this. Just wasn't going to fit that. I guess that yeah. sound. Um, and obviously, part of that is basically due to Rick Rubin, ironically. So, yeah. <laughs> he almost got the last, basically. Yeah, he he got um, the last
1: last great Southern rock record. Almost, you'd potentially even go in, go as far as saying, in terms of commercial success.
0: Yeah. And then he also managed to move i guess the genre of the time away from that yeah (laughs) which is pretty insane that one man can have that much influence but i promise you go and look at the discography released and look at the albums late 90s early noughties especially to see that and you'll literally see that he basically had so much influence then it was insane
1: yeah the fact that he i mean but it's where the reason probably this follow-up to this which i like said i think is just as good if not better um Probably didn't do as well as, like we've said, in the as we've mentioned before in this podcast, the 1991 explosion of Nevermind. Um, but we should also add that Rick Rubin released a, one of his best albums on the same day as Nevermind uh, in the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Uh, so it's not like he was ever away from it um, at all. Uh, but no, I think this record, he's just there's this way he's done this record and worked with them, which has allowed them to sound relevant despite taking a very dated format of songwriting forward. I think,
0: yeah. Even if you did fall out with them in the process,
1: yes, yeah. um But I mean, I think, I think
0: part of the process.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's something that's always going to happen when you have two, well, in this case, three um, hard-headed people who are very good at their jobs um and have slightly differing opinions. It happens in all lines of work, and it will no lo- yeah. shortly happen again. But it's that I think it's almost that clash which has helped. Like he obviously wanted them to go to more southern. They said not really, but him maybe pushing that allowed them to see themselves a bit more and maybe decide, and it, it's all, I mean, it worked out in the end. It came, came up with a great record. So.
0: I mean, that is, that is and we'll, again, I think we'll probably touch on this a little bit further, but his big thing in doing the reading around I've done about him, especially in the last week, his big thing is that he wants artists to do what they do best. He, that's, like, always his line. It's, he's like, I don't care about genre. I don't care about that kind of stuff. I want an artist to just do whatever they are best at. And I can't tell them what that is, but I can know when they're not doing it almost like, he's like, you can tell when someone is doing something that just isn't right for them.
1: Yeah. hundred percent. Like you said, with the Adele thing, um, and as we'll touch on it with, our, with the Slipknot record um, later, he will often ask bands and artists to try something that he think might work or might not work. And then it's obviously yeah. up to the artist whether they want to include it or not. So he's just, he's very much a, I listen to this and maybe see you could try this or you could try that um, and obviously sometimes that causes clashes sometimes it doesn't um, but at the end of the day if it, if it produces a southern rock record in the 1990s that sells five million copies no one's complaining are they at the end of the day
0: no, no. right I think that is everything on the black crows for myself anything that you're adding aim or Says?
1: I don't think so I think we've covered most of it before we get on to like the, the songs and whatnot
0: so So album number two this week comes from the little known uh Chicago based, well, Chicago originated uh artist and musician Kanye West, um, clothing designer as well, I guess. Presidential nominee. Let's not even politician. I, I will go there later because this does relate to that. Um let's try and keep it on the music initially. Uh This album was released in 2016 in February. He originally released it on Tidal. Yes, Tidal. Some of you may remember that as being a thing. Um, Some of you may have not even heard of it because that's how much of a failure it was. Uh, Then after about two months, he gave in to a lot of pressure and just released it on everything else. Mm -hmm. Um, Ironically, he also hadn't finished the album. So this album, much like Kanye tends to do, was released... First in February, then the whole time between February and April, he was still working on it. And then in June, he finally basically finished it and added a whole other track in the form of St. Pablo. Um, it got five Grammy nominations. It was actually snubbed from Album of the Year. Uh, I can't remember what did take it. I did check this. Anyway, I'll probably, it probably I'll
1: now while you're talking.
0: Yeah. Have a look. I want to know. i annoyed I've forgotten. I should have noted it down. Um, it's got a ridiculous selection of features and samples it was
1: was 25 by adele
0: okay yeah i mean we've talked about 25 by adele i can comfortably say this is a better album i'd agree with that. that um it had four different names so first it was called so help me god that was when he first started working on it with rick rubin back in 2013 then it became swish then it became waves, and then literally like four days before he released it, he changed it to the life of Pablo. Um, and then crazy wondering, Pablo, he's well, he claims. I genuinely have this idea that he doesn't really know what Pablo represents. He said so many different things, but the most definitive answer he's given was um, it refers to Pablo Escobar, Pablo Picasso, who he actually often quite co- often compares himself to. He actually once said that if he was an artist, he would be like Pablo Picasso, which um, is very corny, I think. And the Apostle Paul. Um, so, because he likes, cl- and which he clarified as uh, Pablo is the Spanish version of Paul. Um, <laughs> which, honestly, like, you—it's some of the stuff he comes out with is like, yeah. So. I think, to me, I would describe this as a a hip-hop gospel. I think he actually used that term himself, but definitely is like a hip-hop gospel album. Like, This was his first foray into gospel, which obviously everyone will now know is where he seems to be completely now with Sunday Service Choir. And even Yee was quite a gospel-heavy album, also quite an average album, borderline bad. Um, This was his last work with Rick Rubin. He has actually been spotted in Wyoming um with Ruben recently, as recently as I think it was end of July, um, supposedly working on another project. Everyone knows there was meant to be a Kanye album recently. I've stopped listening to those kind of things because I just genuinely don't think there will be like that Domba album that's yeah. supposedly.
1: When, when he when he drops one, he'll just drop one, he won't do any singles, yeah. there'll be no pre release, he'll just exactly. drop it. Like yeah. and the, big artists he, have proven yeah, that, now that they could just drop albums whenever they feel like it and they'll still sell. Yeah.
0: And also Kanye just doesn't have any idea. Like he doesn't, he doesn't know when an album's finished. Like yeah. with this one, he was still working on it. He didn't announce when he was going to put it on other streaming services because I remember the day I literally woke up and it was just there on Spotify. There was no announcement, nothing. I was like, oh, okay. Um, it's, I don't know. It's an interesting metaphor almost, this album for what's come since. Um, in terms of Kanye as a person. Now, I know, like, already on this podcast, we've talked a lot about how critical we are of his presidential campaign and the stuff he's come out with regarding, you know, stuff like Harriet Tubman and all his crazy claims he's made and his anti-abortion stuff. And, you know, that stuff all still stands. But this, to me, represents kind of the last of not only good Kanye music, but also... He's almost like his his real mental health. like It's quite clear that in the years since, his mental health has really deteriorated. His bipolar and depression, um, obviously primarily the bipolar seems to be quite, um, quite a, a, a peak right now. I don't know. It's, I, I'm not sure what the situation is. He seems to go... He even refers to it in this. He's like, on oh, meds, off meds. That does seem to be him. Um, and... You can see it in stuff like his, if you just go and Google his presidential campaign speech when he launched his speech, like that should say everything you need to know. Like this is a guy that needs help. Um, And it is quite sad when you think about that. This album does, in a way, touch on that. It has like a a mixture of like the happier, upbeat, like kind of funky, almost funny Kanye. And then at the same time, you have some of his like lowest, deepest kind of sad stuff. Like nothing quite on the level of Eight Hundred Eight, but you do have stuff like, um, real friends where like he's genuinely just kind of pointing out how many people in his life have fucked him over. Um, you have other stuff like, I'm trying to think what the other one is um, feedback. I think it is where he's kind of pretty, pretty low on it. Um, low lights again, pretty, pretty kind of saddish song really by, by a, a hip hop album standards. And, um, it is. So, yeah. I mean, this
1: this album itself is um, quite slow by even by Kanye standards up to this point. I mean, obviously you said A to it, but like there's um, and in hip hop as well. Even like generally, it's got a slightly slower pacing to it. Yeah.
0: Um, Part of that comes from I think the gospel side, but yeah, definitely. Um, what did you think? What's your, your yeah, thoughts so on? This?
1: I've never been. I've always been a bit lukewarm to this record um, purely because. Um, I think we've had discussion before. My favourite Kanye records, um, College Dropout, which is, yeah, very very different to. Well, I don't know. It's not very different, but it's definitely a lot rawer than his stuff around this time and before that. You know, if, if you're looking at Kanye stuff, it's,
0: it's yes. completely different.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so this was what an album that whenever I went to listen to Kanye, I would, I'd never really touched Life of Pablo, but I mean, I knew obviously there are quite a few songs on here that you, you'd know if you never haven't listened to the record. You'd know all the singles and stuff of it. Things like famous and um, uh, oh, father stretch my hands, pipe one and two, and stuff like that, you'd, you'd recognize anyway. Um, and like, yeah, so I went into it and I was, didn't really have any expectations. I was like, I know it's not a bad record, um, but i like, no, it's not going to be my favorite Kanye record. I, I kind of knew that off the bat. Um, but no, I, I did really enjoy it. I think there's, there's definitely moments in it. I think, um, it is, I'm trying to think of a word to say, it's quite streamlined in terms of how it comes across so it's like Kanye in his or at least in college dropout there's a lot of interludes and this one doesn't really have that it's um even the shorter songs which are like a minute or so are actually like they're not interludes more they're more short songs so it kind of while it does break up and they do flow there doesn't sort of um sort of set, it doesn't set it up for like a banger because there isn't really anything after the There's not really this fast pace there's not too much of a change in pace as such um it just kind of keeps this nice steady, um, almost introspective sort of way in where he goes about it, which I think you mentioned a lot mm-hmm. about his mental health and stuff. I think that definitely comes across um in the way he goes about it and the way he does his different styles as well. Like there's different rapping styles and hip hop styles on here. Um you've mentioned yeah. the gospel parts uh throughout. Um yeah, I think this is definitely something which sees Kanye I think he did it a bit before with Rick Rubin on Jesus. Um but I think on this one, he definitely seems to experiment a bit more out. I don't want to say out of his comfort zone, but definitely something with styles that he probably wouldn't be as confident as pushing to the forefront as he did on this record.
0: Mm. So it's interesting. You, so I guess it probably should refer to um, Ruben and his involvement. He's technically listed as an exec producer on here. They this yes. album had I think like over eight different. Uh,
1: there's over a hundred contributors. I was looking this yeah. up, um, but yeah, Ruben's just. Again, he's considered uh, involved in the record, is probably the best way to put it. Um, Like you said, he's named as an exec producer, um, much like the Black Crows when he was. uh, Everyone knows he's involved with this record to the extent you'll never truly know, but the fact that the artists will always credit him says something.
0: From what I know about his relationship with Kanye, especially obviously after, like, we can't talk about Kanye and Ruben in the same sentence without bringing up Jesus, Um, which, if you don't know, basically, Jesus was. Is almost the kind of product of Ruben taking on Kanye's creativity and being like, "We're going to push it in this direction," and creating what is one of the best albums of the 2010s. Oh hundred, um, yeah, and I mean, I would say it's not my favorite. I think this might actually be my favorite Kanye album, but I don't. I think that that's probably the best Kanye album. Jesus, I think um, y-
1: Jesus is definitely. It, Jesus is very, very different to Life of Pablo as well. I mean, think that's the yeah. the thing that really caught me off guard when I'd, whenever I'd go sort of bounce between the two. Um, you know, you're looking okay. at Life of Pablo's half an hour longer. I'll just check that quickly. Half an hour longer than this, um, but two yeah. very different in terms of Jesus comes out the blocks. It's more, yeah. I, I don't want to say single focus, but it's definitely got elements about it which are a lot more direct, whereas Life of Pablo, I feel, is one of these albums that, um, you know, maybe takes a few listens sometimes to get into, especially with the slightly slower pacing of the songs and the, the intricacies yeah. behind it.
0: So um, so my point was, was really going to be that when you know they have that relationship, you almost kind of know that Kanye would be going to Rubin with everything this wasn't going to be something that had been released without Ruben kind of having given it his touch over and being like, change that, do that. And and with the way at which, in which it ended up being changed so many times, part of which was kind of responsible due to Chance the Rapper, who actually, quietly, is probably one of the most involved people on this record. Um, he wrote and features on, I think, five or six of yes. songs. Um so this actually quite, could actually be better than a lot of his own work, Chance the Rapper, personally, I think. I like Chance, some of Chance the stuff, but I like this more. And I especially like Ultra Light Beam, and his verse on that is one of my favourite verses in the whole album. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think that's something else, that I guess, is worth mentioning, is the involvement of others. So Kendrick's verse on um, No More Parties in LA. Pretty really good, yeah. Really That's good. one of the
1: slightly harder-hitting songs, I think, on the record as well. No more parties yeah. in LA. It comes out. It it's one of these songs. That, although it kind of slows down a tad, it comes out a lot harder hitting. It's a bit more, not necessarily aggressive, but it's a bit more like to the point almost in terms of how it comes out.
0: Yeah, you have Rihanna on um, Famous. Got um, so many from Designer, Ty dollar Sign, um, Andre. Designer Pink. who's. Sampled on part two. Wait, who did you say? Andre three thousands on one Andre of them. Andre Yeah, the one. weekend weekends on FML. Uh, Andre 2000s on Saint Pablo, I think.
1: Yeah, he's he's, def- he's on no, one of the you
0: he's
1: know great. he's on one of the He's on.
0: Ones. Yeah, Saint Pablo. Uh, he's he might be on waves. Saint Pablo is um Sam for the Great, which is yeah. actually was pretty huge for Sam for then because he was quite small then still.
1: Is he on Thirty Hours on Andre 2000? Maybe. Uh,
0: yeah. My, yes, he is. 30 Hours finishes with an ad lib, but yes, it is. he is on that. Um, so I guess something I wanted to do was with Kanye, I think it's always fun to pick apart his lyrics. I really like his lyricism. I really like a lot of the lyricism on this whole album. Um, some of the stuff he does is quite fun, especially like I like 30 Hours for that, like at the end where you can just hear him kind of freestyling and just kind of making stuff up as he goes. And the fact that he just left that in is quite cool. Um, one of my favourite lyrics is actually from that, where he brings up Matt Barnes. Now, are you aware of who Matt Barnes is and what the re- references he goes for?
1: It doesn't ring so a bell.
0: Spot, so, Thirty Hours is about the concept of like driving thirty hours to go and see your partner. Um, and he talks about uh, how he's going to go and beat this guy up. He's like, the lyric is like. I was the one that suggested an open relationship, but now I'm not happy with it. And here I am driving 30, like 30 hours or whatever. And that's a reference to basically, he, he meant like says he name drops Matt Barnes or something. Um, it's a reference to, Matt Barnes was an NBA player who played for like 14 years in the NBA, loads of different teams. Um, and he, him and his wife were in the process of a divorce when his son FaceTimed him and was like saying, "Oh, Mum's friend Derek is here," referring to this guy Derek Fisher, who Barnes had played with for two years as a teammate. And so Matt Barnes drove over to his house and beat the guy up, beat Derek Fisher up. And then, like, it like got national news coverage and shit. Yeah. And um, he claims that he doesn't, he didn't drive that far, but I think the rumor was it was like forty miles. But he claimed it was only fifteen minutes something. Either way, it was quite a fun reference from Kanye to sing that in. Um, another one is. On facts he kind of forebodes where we are now, so facts is basically a whole track of him just trying to promote um his Adidas easy boost stuff, which, as someone who's more of a Nike guy personally um I don't know I don't really think it's that good. It's quite a fun Kanye but it's also the probably the most Kanye track on here other than the track that's literally called "I love Kanye yeah <laughs> um, like. <laughs> This is the only way that this... That's the only way this track could be beaten for being so Kanye because this literally is just him reeling off his successes and trying to, like, shit on Nike because they don't work with him anymore. Um, And he says, 2020, I'm going to run the whole election. And here we are. Yeah, and that was actually, I think, right at the start when people started saying the whole Kanye 2020 thing as, like, a joke. And now we're here and it's something that somehow is a real thing um yeah yeah.
1: it's weird isn't it but i suppose at least he's stuck by his word but um
0: yeah well i think but for the final lyric i picked out which i think for me is like the most accurate and sums up not just this album but kanye in general is on feedback he says name one genius that ain't crazy and I mean, yeah, I think that kind of and it, you kind of could go that far with Ruben, but like, we don't really know much about him. Yes.
1: Other than... Yeah, I mean, this that's actually quite relevant to what I was going to say after that, was this sentence that we've, we've spoken about before with Kanye and a few other artists, like um, geniuses in music tend to be absolutely bonkers, and they can as we, we've kind of touched on, can release stinkers, but they always try new things, they're always weird, like, let's do this, let's do that, they're almost ADHD in the way they go about music, in terms of their approach to it and what they'll try and the stuff and I think someone like Rick Rubin comes in and he will encourage them to try new things. He'll see what they're trying to do and sometimes sometimes people in music geniuses can't know what they want to do but can't necessarily put it into practice. And a producer can often do that. I think Rick Rubin's done that really well on this record. He did it on Jesus as well. I think I think he actually did it on Jesus um, more so um, in that more focused attempt. Yeah. But what he's done with this is he's kind of almost guided Kanye. He's he's kind of, instead of letting yeah, Kanye just run, run around everywhere, trying everything, he's kind of like put him on a path and sort of taking him yeah. through.
0: It's important to have on Yeezus, I think Ruben is the listed producer. Yeah. on this, He's just exec, so it's kind of, I guess that yeah, might be... I, I think Yeezus was a lot, was
1: um, almost a collaboration between the two, and it's definitely something that they both, that's been talked about, whereas this one's definitely, Kanye's got a bit more of a free reign to... Try yeah. what he wants, and I think that's you know you can you, you can't you can t- you can tell that from the record. You can tell from just listening to it that it's definitely a Kanye record. Whereas I think with Jesus, while it was a Kanye record, you could tell there was someone else behind the door, behind the scenes. Yeah, um, yeah. his sampling
0: on this, I have to say, is so good. It's crazy how many good samples he gets in there. Um, he makes somehow makes Part Two a better song than Designers Panda. Yeah. Which, the whole song is literally basically that, just Kanye's kind of reworked it and made it into somehow his song. It's
1: just a slight okay. remix, but with samples and stuff. In, yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's better by quite a long way. Um, but yeah, I think I think that kind of covers everything I wanted to go over with this. It's easy. We could probably sit here and talk about Kanye as an entity and as a person for a long, long time. Um, but that would be... I think we've touched on it a lot. Like, my general opinion when people ask me about like when people talk about Kanye now it's just quite simply the guy needs help and until he's kind of in a good place mentally i just don't think he should be in the public eye and i don't like the fact that he's been on his family's tv show for so long still and that you know he gets pushed into
1: and- reality shows and stuff yeah yeah
0: and his wife Posts all these stuff on Instagram as though like, nothing's going on, and it's quite clear her husband's on the brink of a breakdown, well, or is going through one. Um, I don't know. That whole situation is fucked, and I hope that he gets better soon and uh, maybe someone can give him a bit of education on history. Um, so, yeah.
1: I suppose I'll, I'll end this with a sort of question. So, I mean, obviously, we kind of touched on this, was like the last good Kanye release, um, as it were. If Kanye were to say, end of this year or whatever, say he's got an album coming out with, or he's working with Rick Rubin on a new record, would you be excited for Because I personally, at the moment, if Kanye said he's got a new record coming out, I'd be kind of like, ah, so what? But I think if he said he's yeah. working with Rick Rubin, I'd be intrigued as well as excited, I think, to see where they're going next with everything. I'm, I'm intrigued how you'd think.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he would need to have someone to keep the reins on, almost. Um, like, to kind of keep the... Uh, keep him within the tram lines basically Um, because of just how unstable like it seems like he is. But I mean, I would, obviously, I think I'd be inevitably quite excited. He's one of my favorite as a musician and the music he's made one of my, like one of my favorite artists from that respect. But at the same time, while he's still banging on about, you know, the red hat and, um, about pro-life and you know abortion being a sin and that kind of stuff, it's going to be it's going to be a struggle to listen to Kanye without that in the back of your mind.
1: Yeah, one hundred percent. I think that's definitely something that at the moment um, does leave a slight yeah a back a back sort of thought on sort of how Kanye releases music and who he is as a person.
0: Yeah, at the and that's how I think this album. If you listen to the themes and stuff he talks about in this album, this harks back. This is who Kanye was. Like, that's what I find so mental when you listen to this album. This was 2016, and he's such a different person and character and individual almost now to the person that released this record, just in the way in which, like, he talks about certain that topics, the way in which he, like, has a whole, a whole gospel song about fucking models called Father Stretch My Hands Up Part 1. It's yeah. just a gospel about fucking models. And then he's got this guy now who's, like kind of going on about how abortions are seen and all this kind of stuff and yeah, like, and that like um, what was it? The stuff about not being uh, like the black people responsible for slavery and stuff, like what the hell is, what's happened in that time, like Yeah, it, it's just, it's
1: yeah, it, I think it's another thing that sort of makes you almost sad and about the situation he's currently
0: in, I think Yeah, and, you just... yeah. and it's funny because he the irony is in this song, in this album, he makes at least two or three references to Jay Z in a really, really respectful light. And I really like, um, is one lyric that's like, if we get 100 million, give 10 mil or give like 30 mil to Jay. Like, that was, that again represents where their relationship was then. And now they just don't even speak. They're not, yeah. you know, that's that. It's pretty, it's pretty, I don't know, weird. It's, this album is so almost time stamped because of those aspects
1: yeah i know i definitely agree with that in that sense um yeah it's it's a diff it's it's hard to believe this was only four years ago i think it's probably
0: yeah that's definitely probably a good way of putting it definitely um but yeah all in all i'm just gonna say simply put this is one of my i think this is my favorite Kanye album um and i really enjoyed being able to listen to it more than i normally do this week and our last
1: album this week is our listeners pick from laura williams with her second pick on the podcast um with slipknot volume three the subliminal verses so this is the hence by the title is the third album from the masked metal band from iowa um there are nine piece metal band which does sound a bit bonkers so i'll I'll quickly run through all the instruments that are played Um, so you have the typical five piece metal bands you have a drummer on this record was joey Jordison. you have um two guitarists rhythm and lead uh which is jim root and i want to say mick thompson uh you've got paul gray the now deceased paul gray unfortunately on bass guitar um the enigmatic frontman Corey taylor as front um on vocals and then you have these four sort of um side musicians which adds a lot of depth to the sound so you've got sid wilson on the dj decks and sampling you have a keyboard player who's I can't remember his name. (laughs) Then you have two percussionists and backing vocals who literally stand with five kegs out in front of them and smack them to shit with baseball bats uh, at the live shows and actually on this record as well um, and on all records, but there's definitely a few songs on this where it definitely comes out. Um, So this was, uh, I'd go as far to say Slipknot's breakthrough into the mainstream well not the mainstream but this is what pushed them to be the festival headliners and the bands they are the, the size of band they are now um as they when they released their debut in 1999 um they went to a lot of critical acclaim had quite good commercial success and really pushed them to the forefront of metal music um as it were and people when they're about to, when they announced their follow-up iowa people were like okay they're gonna go a bit more mainstream take this melodic aspect which was there but not right at the forefront on the debut and push it to the forefront and go into the stratosphere that they knew they could however on the second album was definitely a chaotic if you know if you see anything about the slip any imagery you'll know that they were absolutely mental in their early years and this was the io was them, them saying fuck you to everyone that was expecting melody and they just went even heavier than before still huge success still phenomenal album but didn't quite um have the uh, mainstream success that perhaps was expected of them following such a critically acclaimed debut, and then they come to this one where they're recording with Rick Rubin. So this was, I'd say, almost the peak um, or the climax of their, of at least Corey Taylor, the frontman's drinking. Um, they, were, as a band, were still partying and going crazy and stuff like that. They recorded this in Rick Rubin's mansion. Um, so they've gone from two records which are messy chaotic metal records you know all over the place loud noisy and they come in here with rick rubin they've got a lot of money going into the record and they produce a come out with a record which is still a metal record it's still heavy in parts but there's slower songs on here there's brooding these the album is paced a lot better it takes influence from bands and artists outside of metal so you've got radiohead influences in here the alternative music that you had had coming through the 90s and as an album i'd say it's amazing it's the end of their sort of th- their first three albums or their three best albums this is the end of that run of three best albums um and it's definitely the album of theirs which i'd say is the most accessible in terms of quality and melody um towards the mainstream so jack how did you find it seeing as you're not the metal guy on this podcast
0: so it turns out i'm actually quite a slipknot fan Um, I didn't really expect that I thought I'd quite I thought I wouldn't mind it I've listened to Slipknot before but I actually really fucking like this Um, this album has so many fucking good songs also it also reminds me so much of like it sounds weird but I swear I've heard I realised I googled it and I had heard at least four or five of the songs on COD montages yeah (laughs) So, so like it just reminded me of that and then I went away and listened to more. I actually listened to some stuff from Iowa. And yeah, I actually quite like Sniplock quite a lot. Um, I don't know why. So I think I'm in... So for the listeners, I'm currently finishing off my dissertation. So I'm currently in like a locked in, like just like typing and editing and shit. And listening to this kind of stuff while you're doing that is actually so perfect. Um, So yeah, I really enjoyed it. You're right about it is definitely accessible in terms of also like you say, it has some slower songs like uh what's it called vermilion part two both um, millions yeah you've got yeah,
1: yeah, uh, itself, yeah. the
0: circle the circle is a little bit slower although that has a really cool drum finish yes um, yeah
1: there's definitely a way yeah. they build it and keep it slipknot in this whole. yeah
0: and then that leads really well into i forgot what the song after circle's called
1: welcome or but, something isn't it
0: yeah welcome that's it leads in so well into that um one thing i did have to do was I had to go and Google the actual track list because the one on Spotify is one hour, 40 minutes. And I was yeah. like, there is no way I'm going to be able to listen to a one hour 40 album like four times. So I was like, I need to cut that down. Um, but yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, I think it's just like, it doesn't, beat around the bush do you know what I mean like obviously that sounds so stupid I imagine for you as a metal fan that probably just sounds but for me who doesn't really know much it doesn't fuck about it just like it's got bits of everything it picks up the pace when it needs to when it's like when it has slowed for a bit it picks it back up um, obviously you've got Before I Forget which is like probably one of the biggest songs
1: it's, yeah it's one memorable. of the it's one of the biggest yeah. metal songs of the 21st century 100% yeah I'll be the um, ever Yeah, like you said
0: you have got, what's the other one, Duality. Duality,
1: the, the, the most iconic Slipknot intro almost. I push yeah, although I
0: actually, I actually wasn't a huge fan of Duality as in the context of the album. That wasn't one of my favourites, interestingly. Um, but We can go into that at the end. Um, one thing that was interesting, I know you, you're probably going to touch on this in a bit more detail, is their relationship with Ruben. And I didn't know that they'd recorded it at, the, at his mansion because... I think it's Corey Taylor said that they only actually saw him four times
1: yes yes so there's, the there's a weird contrast so Jim Root the guitarist was yeah, very complimentary of Rick Rubin um, yeah. he he said he may have not always seemed to have been present but he was always watching us and keeping an eye because he knew he didn't need to be involved as much um, and you know Jim Root was like well we still produce this record so he must have done something well um, and also on the top of this I mentioned how Corey Taylor was at the peak of his drinking um, and anyone who's listened to his drunk knows that your memory is not the best when you're drinking um, yeah. and also obviously if he was he, um, you know drinking to the extent that he was he probably wasn't in the yeah. right headspace so he probably has quite a negative opinion of that time anyway
0: yeah. important to clarify he is now sober as well as vegan
1: yes yeah um, he's, he's um, gone yeah full straight edge cleaned clean slate
0: yeah yeah um, yeah, it's, that is interesting kind of caveat to that. Um, but also like just to talk quickly in a wider context of Rick Rubin, that means that on this podcast now, we've got three very different genres within which he's done three very different styles of that genre and created commercial successes beyond belief, basically.
1: Yeah. And like, with, with all of them, without, um, without losing the band's identity, which is a very key thing. I think a lot of yeah. art, art, it happens, not not just with Ruben, but it happens all the time when an artist tries to go a bit more commercial or changing, yeah. sounding.
0: I did think when we got this list of um, albums, I was kind of like, oh, it's a bit of a shame because we don't have any of his real big, big hitters. But I guess technically you could say this probably falls into that. But beyond that, the other two aren't really his like hugest albums but at the same time i think that almost like you know it'd be easy to have something like um what's it called blood sex blood magic. sugar sex
1: magic yeah you could do oh, um, system uh, of Down. toxicity was a um, big one yeah.
0: it'd be easy to have albums like that and they would just represent that this guy just makes incredible music but this also represents the other side where it is he manages to push people in new directions and kind of he can take a genre and this is almost what what made him so successful originally was he can take a genre and he can find a new spin on it and turn it in something else
1: oh yeah 100 percent. so i think what he what's done really well here so with slipknot as i mentioned they've got these nine members so there's there's loads of sounds coming in and on the debut it was great the singles were all at the front of the album and then the weird songs where they start experiment with the back end of the album so the album itself is quite disjointed so you could listen to the first Five six tracks, be blown away, and then you're for the next bit. You they're still great songs. It's, I think it's still a ten out of ten album, um, as it were. You'd still have the end bit would still be very different to the first bit in terms of a listening experience. And then along comes I.O. where it's just chaos. It's just bits coming in everywhere. It's it's a band really on a destructive path, and it's the perfect depiction of that. And then you come to this record where he takes all these areas of this band and instead of just chucking them all in in one and making the racket like they did on Iowa he's managed to help them and encourage them to work around it be a bit slower with their pacing you know you've got Before I Forgets towards the end of the album um, big single you've got Blister Exists and Duality at the start towards the start and then you've got these slower songs just keeping the pacing going Um and like when you've got keys and uh, samples on DJs and stuff like that coming in it adds that element and it's encourage them to push the boundaries a bit you know you're a metal band but don't be afraid to be slow and play and have an acoustic a, a song led by an acoustic guitar you know when you you look at Slipknot this is only their third album this isn't 40 year old Slipknot this is five years after their debut came out this is five years this is I think is like two three years since they got banned from Portsmouth Guildhall because they, were, they encouraged fans to rip the seats up and stuff They're still this chaotic band, but he's encouraged them to focus and channel their energy forward, which I think is something that actually going forward from this record, they've kept this style. So like they haven't recorded a record like the first two since this record. Um, They haven't recorded a record as good as this record since this record, but they have managed to keep a similar sort of style of pacing in terms of they've mixed a slightly slower paced, dark and brooding songs with the, fast and more chaotic songs that Slipknot, as an image, are known for.
0: I think I, you definitely said it better there than, yeah. than I. Your knowledge just completely blown me out of the water there. But, um, yeah, I mean, I like I said, I actually was surprised with how much I enjoyed this and then how much I found myself going away and listening to more Slipknot and enjoying kind of the wider um, discography so, I guess that's something I will end up doing more yeah, now. I mean, I, that's something for the listeners as well. Yeah, to put it in perspective, we've listened to a few um, kind of heavier stuff on here. And this is definitely like Slipknot are on now one of those things where instead of just like I've maybe listened to it a couple of times again afterwards just to kind of, you know, listen to the tracks that I liked, I'll probably go and add some of these stuff to my to my library. Like, I already have added some stuff just because of how much I enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, and I think it's definitely one of these things where this song, this song, this album has an anthem, on, anthem on it. In terms of before I forget, even you could argue duality is. Um, Blister yeah. exists has one of the best usage of the keg smashes in Slipknot with the the where just everything else cuts yeah. out and it just goes full kegs, and it's it's definitely Rick Rubin, like I said, with how he has encouraged them to push these these each element of the nine to the forefront rather than just one um but yeah i think if you're this is the record i would put give to someone if they said i want to try and get into slipknot this is the record you would give to them it's near perfect i'd say um in terms of capturing slipknot's overall sound it's a lot of people's favorite slipknot record is it mine that's we'll discuss that in a bit but um yeah another perfect example of how rick rubin can uh guide a band and an artist to a sound which is more accomplished I think is a good way to put it.
0: So now is the part of the podcast where Amos and I do some saving and we do some throwing. I don't know. We haven't decided what it's really, what it is. We need to decide, I think at some point, what it is we do to the records. We don't want current options is, is throwing at, zombies or something you'd like to reference that from oh, sure we'll work it out we'll come up with a good solution and approach I mean some albums do deserve the real worst of the worst Bastille um anyway not mentioning names that is of course yeah, um never, <laughs> never. yeah Bastille um just in case people missed it the first time so we are going to go through each album we're going to talk about whether we want to save it or not we are then going to pick a song each from the albums, which go on our Songs to be Saved playlist, which is available on Spotify. And it's a good way of actually going back and listening. If you haven't listened to all the episodes, you just kind of get a feel for what albums we've been listening to. There's so many songs on there now. Um, so, yeah, I think without further ado, we should start with The Black Crows. Shake Your Money Maker. This was your pick, Amos. Is it being saved?
1: So this one... I messaged you because I said there's a running theme throughout all these albums and that's the... This is a bit of a spoiler for what's coming up. These albums, I really like all these albums, but I'm unsure or I know that they're not my favourite from the artist. This one, I actually don't know what what, what my favourite Black Crows record is. Um, It depends on the mood I'm in. Um, I tend not to listen to Black Crows as like both albums at once. I'll either listen to this or Southern Harmony. However, I think... As a whole, taking my personal thing of it, this is a great record. It shows Rick Rubin's ability at a genre he's not often credited with, I think. um, In this sort of Southern rock, obviously you've got the Johnny Cash influence um, links, but rarely does he sort of tend to lean towards this um, as much. And I also think the commercial success of something like this in the 90s, okay, 1990, but still 90s, shows so much about... Rick Rubin's not just his production knowledge, but his ability to market bands and as a label exec as well as a producer. Um, and on top of that, it's well, a I mean, really, really fucking good record as well.
0: Yeah, that's the evidence, that is the basis upon which I'm going to want to save it because I haven't listened to that much to the other album. I listened to a little bit of it, so I wouldn't be able to provide that nuance. Um, the thing you said about their marketing side is interesting, considering you almost called them the KKK. Yeah, <laughs> supposedly. <laughs> yeah, supposedly. Um, but yeah, no, I do agree. I completely agree. The commercial success definitely speaks to um to a level of business sense as well as musical ability that, as much as obviously the Black Crows are probably responsible for. He is a a drive behind that.
1: Yeah, 100%. So, even yeah. even if you just take that that um, bravery to put a record like this out on your label and put money into it in the 90s, that alone, I think, yeah. is worthy of keeping.
0: You got the rewards for it. So that yeah. is the Black Rose being saved. Shake Your Money Maker is in the bank. What songs are you saving?
1: Ooh. I'm going to let you pick that. All right, that's tough because I was going to wait for you to pick and then I was going to pick. Um,
0: that's a okay, great name, Ossie but i have decided you are picking first
1: all right i'm going to i'm going to reckon i'm going to go for one of the singles one of the bigger songs purely because i think it's just truly a sensational ballad i'm going to for she talks to angels
0: okay which nice. um
1: we didn't actually speak about but that's actually about um i think it was chris robinson dated a goth girl and it's about her <laughs> absolutely random nice. random fact but that's
0: exactly. I did read a really weird. Quickly to go off on a tangent, very quickly. We'll go back in a moment. I read a really, re- really weird analysis of um, Slipknot's "Vermillion 2," where it was suggested that maybe Corey Taylor had like some um, gender dysfor- just dysmorphia, and maybe it was like touching upon that. I don't know. It was really weird. I don't know how I how I really got lost on that tangent, but someone had written like almost like a little essay-style explanation of it, and i now end up getting caught up in it when I was meant to be doing my diss. Um, but yeah, it was quite an interesting point of view, actually. When you listen back to the song and you think about it in that context, it is possibly true, I don't know. Potentially or based it, that, Yeah, anyway. it could be based but, on a
1: concept or something, who knows.
0: Yeah, I know he has quite cross-dressed slightly in some videos before, so um, that was the evidence they used in the essay anyway. Um, but yeah, worth a read, curious. Uh, so I'm going to pick from the Black Crows, I'm going to pick... Jealous again. Um, I do love Hard to Handle, but I feel like I'm always picking the biggest single. And I actually really like this song as well, like just as much. So I was like, I'm going to go something a little bit different and go for that.
1: And oh no, I like that solid pick. Good little, quite nice. And it was fast, faster paced one as well, which is quite good.
0: Yeah. yeah. complements yours quite well. So next up we have... The Life of Pablo by Kanye West. Amos, you pick first again, because there are about, I think there's 20 songs on this album and I could pick 15 of them. Oh, so, are we
1: going to decide if we're saving it first?
0: Oh yeah, that's a good point. I literally already decided in my head. Um, I'm going to save it. I'm not going to explain any further than that. I think I've kind of already gone over it. It's my favourite Kanye album. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's,
1: think, this, this is why it's yeah. a tough one, because I think it's, my fifth favourite Kanye record, I think.
0: Ooh. But for me, so for me as well, I think it also, to, to justify it to you beyond that it's just my favourite, I think it also represents Kanye in a fantastic way. I think if I was to pick an album to be, if someone said to me, watch, what is he? What, like, how would you describe it? This album has all the elements of him. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily have the fun stuff that you associate with the college dropout and graduation. Um, late registration it doesn't quite have those those kind of um, maybe funkier beats and like a bit more fun styling but it also this encapsulates elements of his elements of his kind of later noughties early 10 stuff but also it represents the kind of change in who he is now and like like we said it kind of although it's a very different album to who he is it forebodes the kind of in like sadly insane stuff that has happened since. Um, so on that basis alone, it's almost like we said, it's it's almost like a timestamp of Kanye in the 2010s.
1: Yeah, no, I, I can see that. And it's definitely, um, like we said, it's him taking on a slightly newer style of more so, any, or putting it more to the forefront anyway of what he had done before and maybe uh, trying something new. And like you said, it's your favourite. So um, I'll lean on you for this one, I think.
0: Okay, good. <laughs> um, I'm going to let you, like I said, pick the f- songs to save. So I've got three written
1: down here because I wasn't sure these are the ones that kind of stood out to me on a few listens. Um, I think I'm going to go for feedback. I think.
0: What what are the three? I'm curious. So, to know so I've got three.
1: 30 hours, no more parties, and feedback. Um, okay,
0: three very good.
1: Yeah. Uh, I was torn, like, there was a bit when I first was listening to it, I was thinking no more parties, then I kind of lent towards 30 hours. And then now on these last sort of final listens I did, I, I think I'm, I'm going to lean towards feedback and I think I'm just going to say feedback.
0: Yeah, okay, good choice. I love a lot on here. St. Pablo is an amazing song. 30 Hours is a fantastic song. Um, you've obviously touched on No More Parties in LA. Also, unbelievably good song. For me, it's between... I uh, and then I like both part 1 and part 2 of Father Stretch Your Hands up um but it's between Ultralight Beam and Waves for me I think just based on uh I'm going to go for Ultralight Beam um which I think is one of his best songs in general personally but I feel like about a few of the songs on this quietly um yeah, I don't know. Ultralight Beam has a really cool sample at the start. I love Chance the Rapper's verse on it. Um, yeah, interestingly, actually, another uh, Rubin-produced act, Angus and Julia Stone, who he did an album with them a while ago. Um, they're an Australian folk duo. Um, and they did a cover of Ultralight Beam and n- should just shouldn't be done. Don't do it. A song that's got this level of production and this amount of sampling, don't try and cover it. Especially if you're a folk duo from Byron Bay, Australia. I think that's where they're from. Um, so yeah. Rick should had a word there. Um, but yeah, this is one of my one of my favorite songs, so I'm gonna pick that ultra beam. Solid. So pick. finally, finally slipknot, volume three. I can't remember what the full title is, volume uh, three subliminal Bird. verses. After, yeah, the versus. Are you saving it, Amos?
1: Oh, this is ridiculously tough for me. Um, so,
0: I, know but, gonna, I think you're going to say Iowa is your favourite. That's my prediction. Yes,
1: yeah. So, I, I, people always ask me a favourite, and it's nothing. It's something. A lot of records, you know, an artist, you can kind of say straight off the bat what your favourite album of theirs is. Slipknot. I always hesitate a bit, but I tend to lean towards Iowa. However. I adore the first record. I think what's on that record is sensational. And I think the first three record run from Slipknot is near enough perfect for a metal band. Um, it depends on what we're thinking, of because I think this record is the per- is a really good encapsulation of Slipknot's overall sound, whereas I was obviously a personal favourite, mainly because of that chaotic element. And I love ele- love records which are chaotic and a bit all over the place but still just sensational that's kind of like where i tend yeah. to vibe with my records and i think this record being more focused really does push to the forefront and i th- it's weird because you can ask me to pick like top 20 slipknot songs and i could easily pick six seven songs from this record but i could also easily pick like two and in- to put in that top 10 like that's the yeah, sort of yeah. level we're talking at here in terms of how good this record is compared to, to others um I think on the basis that we just saved life of Pablo because it's a slightly different Kanye record compared to others, and also it's you know if you were to save another Kanye record, it wouldn't look like we just saved two Kanye records. We've saved two different records. I think if we were to save this and Iowa, it would show two very different sides of Slipknot, which I think is relevant for their legacy as a band as well. I don't think any record I, of theirs, which is more melodic, would hold up. I
0: feel like. Bands and an artists with the discography of of the level of Slipknot and Kanye, the two we've just discussed, we don't have to worry quite so much about the um the uh, I guess what we were kind of calling the the Frank rule, yeah. Frank Ocean. Actually, shit. How did we not even mention the fact that Frank Ocean has an amazing track on Life of Pablo? Just getting out there. That's out there. Another another mention.
1: another person that's guessed it of the hundred that <laughs> won that.
0: Another incredible feature. Right, glad that's out there now. Anyway, we don't have to worry about the Frank Ocean rule, really, because he only had two albums. So it's kind of different when you don't have that such a variety. I feel like, honestly, we could save at least three Kanye albums.
1: Oh, at least. And right.
0: it'd not be a problem. Yeah, and it not be a problem at all. So I wouldn't worry about that. And if you want to save it, let's just save the thing.
1: I think we should. And I think because of what Slipknot are now as a band, so they've released three records pr- par- post this um two records which i'd say are very average borderline bad not bad but like they're singles and that's it on that record on those records pretty much and then the most recent one which i think is actually really good uh but it's, again it's still nothing up to this level like this is still like i wouldn't consider the most recent one to be competing with the best slipknot records whereas this is like this if someone said to me this is their favorite slipknot record i go yeah that makes sense whereas And the same with Iowa, same same with the debut. And I think that says a lot about it, I think.
0: I think for me to come in and, like we all know, not have much of a metal background, not be huge into my harder, like heavier stuff. um, That came out quite weirdly. (laughs) But yeah. um, And to suddenly be like, holy shit, I really like this. And to go and listen to more, that says quite a lot. Um, So that was, for me, why I wanted to save it straight up because obviously the background to it is impressive and it's an incredibly like well thought of album, but also for me to come in as a basically total fucking layman and really enjoy it. And to go and listen to more stuff is quite like says quite a lot. So that is that saved. Um, Shall I pick first on this one? Yeah, you pick this you pick
1: song first, because I've got a few. I have got. I mean, I could pick half, half the album, to be honest, over half the album. Yeah,
0: so. there was a few on here. There was a few. Um, every All three albums this week had quite a few songs. Um, yeah, same with me. I'm going to go with Opium of the People.
1: Ooh, nice. I didn't, I didn't expect that one, to be honest.
0: Really? It's a bit heavier, that one, isn't it? Yeah. Do you think I'm going to go for something a melodic? No, I really like that one.
1: Yeah, I think you might think, lean towards the big single or maybe something like Vermilion or something like that. Yeah, so
0: I like this one because I listened to it when I was just fucking cutting the shit out of my word count, which I still haven't got anywhere near doing, but it was very appropriate for that and I was like, fuck yeah.
1: I, I thought you might lean towards 3-0 because of the last two score lines in the Champions League.
0: <laughs> I did think that actually. I was going to make a 3-0 joke but I was like, I can't really think of any good ones. So, <laughs>
1: but no, i, I, I no, it's a good pick that one. I think. I, I was I, that's kinda of caught me off guard because I wasn't expecting you to pick that. I wasn't gonna pick it, it wasn't <laughs> my pick, but
0: Okay. What are you what are you gonna pick then, Mr. Hayes?
1: so there's a few here, but there's one on this which I like in terms of like slipknot singles, if I've got four minutes to listen to a slipknot song, this would be one of the songs I would tend to go to. Um and that's the blister exists. I mentioned it when we were talking about it. There's a bit where the keg smash and they just go duh, 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 duh with the keg bit, and it's, it, yeah, it's just brilliant. I love it. And it's the second song on the fucking record. It just comes out like that. After a very, the prelude as well, which is very slow brooding, and then it just comes out with these yeah. keg smashes, and, you know, working in a bar and stuff, makes, if ever I listen to it, it, makes me want to go to work, get a baseball bat, and just smack the shit out of our beer kegs. Um,
0: I mean, you should do it.
1: You should just do it. Pretend to be Slipknot for a day. Yeah. Just,
0: just do it. Why not? Right. Oh, so I- that is, Three albums, another clean sweep. This is our first clean sweep since... 80s, 1980s. 1980s, since 1980. So 30 years later, um, 30 years, 40 years. four years, now, Jesus. Yeah. i have a really bad maths or I'm just worried about how old I am. I don't know, one of the two. Anyway, we have got a clean sweep, all three saved. Amos, read out the songs that are saved and then we'll go into next week's theme. So we have from the Black Crows, I saved.
1: She talks to angels. Jack saved. Jealous again, from Kanye. Um, I saved. Feedback. Jack saved. Ultra light. And then I've got. Blister exists and op- and Jack's got open from the people from Volume Three. The Subliminal Verses from Slipknot.
0: And there we have it. Next week's theme is going to be.
1: Uh, we are doing, our, um, akin to our Glastonbury theme, we're doing Reading and Leeds headliners. Um, because, yeah, it, so, if you didn't know, it's Reading, it was meant to be Reading and Leeds next weekend in a week's time. Uh, well, depends on this. Goes Reading by.
0: Leeds, obviously, not quite on the scale of Glastonbury, but we are both from very near where Reading Festival happens. It was kind of a bit of a tradition that people would go to Reading Festival. I would, I, I
1: would talk about it, but I think Reading has a more famous festival set than Glastonbury. Interesting. In Nirvana's, Nirvana's Reading sets more festival We're than any Reading, Glastonbury yeah. set.
0: Okay, yeah. Hmm, that's probably not a bad shout. We can discuss that next week. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely discuss this. I would just say, yeah, it's, you know, quite a big festival of people around where we're from. I know that lots of people that are listening to this will have been, um, and I'm sure they will have stories. I'm really, really tempted to pick an album next week that um, I've been resisting picking for a while I think Amos probably knows that what I'm thinking of but we'll see we'll see thank you very much for listening everyone we hope you're having a fantastic weekend and you're enjoying this late August sun now that it's not raining anymore
1: yeah I'm going to enjoy it at work
0: you You want to to be nice to our listeners or you just just going to leave them cold
1: just going to leave them them hanging Um, bring us your your good suggestions we don't want any sort of bad ones Yeah. Yeah,
0: come on come on Headliners from Reading and Leeds. Sadly, I'm pretty sure Bastille steel have headline Reading and Leeds. No, no, they haven't,
1: they're not big enough. They're definitely not big enough. They're they've not? done they've Are done like second sure? or third. No. Nah. Are you
0: sure? I feel like they might have done in two like, Although
1: 20. I do have a really bad feeling this next week's gonna be our nineteen seventy five week
0: and Oh yeah, that's a good point. Right. So I'm make not, sure you no. bang into suggestions. <laughs> um, we're gonna leave a bit of a window, I think. I'm about to start a job on Monday, so I reckon we leave kind of a couple of weeks. Yeah, we'll, we'll wait until post- after
1: bbc recap and stuff of it all as well
0: yeah we'll um we'll post a load of shit up on our instagram at albums for the apocalypse with like letting you know how to submit you can either reply to stories or you can dm us whenever you listen to this and you think of someone if you've been i can imagine there's an artist that sticks out in your head that you remember seeing there and you're like fuck yeah it'd be cool to hear that so just fire it away we'd love to hear from you thank you very much for listening and goodbye see you